never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan May. Another fantastic day for an interview because I've got Dr. Anne Katona Lim with me. Anne is an amazing woman who has come on board and is a co-author in our beautiful book, Depression Light to Me. And today I've got the honor of talking to her about her work that spans really the last 25 years. And she is a, a woman who is not taking for granted the world with all its misery, but she's actually going out there and she's kicking ass and she's trying to prevent things escalating. She is going to the schools. She is putting her money where her mouth is. And now that is action. That is something that I, uh, I want to honor because it's those unsung heroes that are going out there and trying to make this world a better place. Uh, they're not the ambulance on the bottom of the cliff. They're trying to put fences up there and create strong young humans that are more resilient and therefore do not fall prey to devices and the, the, all the, 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 the temptations and maybe the wrong behaviors that are out there. So Anne, welcome to my show. Thanks for having me, Stefan. An absolute pleasure. Um, how do you get into work like that? I mean, you you don't just wake up one day and as a young young girl and think, hey, you know what? I will go into schools. I will make make a difference here in the world. Mm. I mean, who did you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> That's actually a really great question. Uh, my story's kind of complicated, but I when I was young. I was very athletic and I actually was in physical therapy in my previous life uh -huh. and was an athletic trainer, uh, a lot working in schools. I loved uh -huh. working in schools. So I worked in uh, higher ed, but I all in, in universities and colleges, but I really found the love of what I was doing, working in high schools, probably the most was where I was the most. And from that, I, I just really loved the relationships with the kids. And I also have my own story of childhood trauma, which I didn't at the time, I was really not interested in really looking at all of that when I was in athletic training. Though as I, I got a little bit older and kind of went through a variety of different things, which I talk about in Depression Lied to Me, uh, that really made me want to look more at myself and kind of learn a little bit more about who I was and what was really going on with me. I've always had that interest. And so really digging into my own history, I really identified that I wanted to work in schools with kids, especially with kids with behavior problems. I don't even, it just kind of came up as that's really where I want to go. Uh, I was working with twin girls and uh, they had behavior problems and they were just, I fell in love with them. And I had a natural gifting that I understood who they were and what their behaviors were coming, where they were coming from, kind of what, what was the cause of their behaviors. I understood that a little bit more. And I really had a lot of empathy. I, I've always gotten those kids. I can, those kids who have more challenges, developmental disabilities. Uh, I really gravitated towards the kids with autism and behavior problems the most. Mm -hmm. And I ended up becoming a special educator and a behavior analyst because I wanted to figure myself out. 
And so I just really loved working with the kids. And the more I did work with the kids, I realized also that a lot, I, I naturally fell into working with the adults. I remember having my supervisors asked me to do trainings and that wasn't necessarily my area, mm-hmm. though I really fell in love with that. And, you know, it, it was just kind of a natural place for me to go. So for the last 20 years or so, I've been doing training, consulting in schools mm-hmm. and coaching. And then I was state project director for a big grant that came out of the Sandy Hook and the Columbine shootings, uh, mm-hmm. Safe Schools, Healthy Students. And that really, I think, was one of the the areas that I really fell in love with this work and really doing more to bring all the the partners together, all uh, the community, teachers, the kids, really getting the youth voice out there. Uh, Then I really realized that that's what I wanted to spend a lot of my time doing, which has led me to now doing having my own business and supporting schools and really getting in schools directly rather than you know I don't want to do stand and deliver trainings I want to coach school districts to help create safer environments to help uh, that you know it's not just the students it's the adults that are feeling supported so that everyone can be more successful and, and focus more on prevention rather than just waiting until kids are really struggling. Wow, that must be such a challenging uh, clientele to work with. Um, how do you do you connect with these youngsters, especially youngsters who are uh, have gone through maybe a darker life and who are always on the on the defense? Uh, and often enough, the, the bad behavior that we see is a pure trauma response. Mm-hmm. How do you break through that? Because many, many parents struggle with that. Many other caregivers or teachers don't know what to do. How do you go about yeah. that? I think one of the big things that ironically is sort of a gift of my childhood trauma, I think I've always had this feeling of my inner child And I've always connected with that. And it actually always reminds me of what it was like to be young again and be vulnerable and to be struggling with things. I remember that. And actually, some of the traumas that I went through as a child, I remember them like they just happened. So I'm you know, it, we're, we're talking 50 plus years later, mm. I can still remember them. So I think in, in a way, it's actually a gift, because it makes me whenever I'm in front of kids, I automatically kind of go into that mode. I think one of the big challenges, though, is that obviously, not every adult is going to have that experience. Mm. We need to look at them and be curious about the kids that we work with. We often make assumptions. I think that's one of our biggest mistakes is that we make an assumption about a child by what we see on the outside. And we don't really know what's going on. The behaviors are the loudest, but really we all have internal behaviors. They're the private events. These are the things that are going on, whether it's our self-talk, our 
you know, different emotions that are going on, things that are going in our on in our body that we often don't pay attention to. And that to me is why it's so important for adults to pay attention to their own emotions and being able to understand that so that when they are with the kids, it's easier to then relate to them. You know, being just curious, asking questions. What do you like? Find out what they're interested in. You know, get to know the students. Really pay attention to them is really one of the biggest things that I see. And, And that's challenging when you yourself are stressed as an adult. And you just pointed that out because right now, as we are recording that, we are about uh, five days, 10 days out from Christmas. I've had a year from hell and so many people out there have experienced the same high level of stress and low levels of constant distress. Um, And I feel that my empathy towards my patients, towards my my colleagues, towards everyone is paper thin. It doesn't take much for some very interesting voices to come out. (laughs) Luckily, the filter works well at the moment. I don't let them play, but I'm not far off. Um, So how do we do that? I mean, here we have got our youngsters struggling. We are struggling. How the hell? The, probably the teachers are struggling. Uh, let's let's not be silly. They are human beings too. So mm-hmm. where do you start? Yeah, and it's also the administrators. It, you know, it's every single layer of our world. Everyone is really struggling, even if they don't necessarily realize it. And so we have to. We can't just say, go ahead and, you know, take a mindfulness class or do yoga. You know, pe- people don't want to hear that. It's, it's, you know, we just were on a plane a few days ago. We got back on Wednesday and they talk about how we have to put our own oxygen mask on. And that is such a crucial thing for all of us to remember. And I think it's, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, yeah, sure. I have a ton of things I have to do. It's just we have to create environments for everyone to feel comfortable and that you know sometimes we have to let things go we have to pick our battles mm-hmm. things we don't have to have things perfect mm-hmm. we just have to look at what is going to be good enough and how can we make sure that no matter what relationships are at the core of everything that we do and that we're fostering an environment where relationships are the priority. And one of the challenges is that people say, well, we should be teaching academics that, you know, we've gotten so behind on the academics, we need to focus on everything we've lost over the pandemic. The challenge, you know, is that unless we address the kind of the, the emotions, the stress that from the students all the way up to the administrators, the principals, the superintendents, you know, whatever their title is, those leaders and teachers have to have their own oxygen mask on. They have to be able to take care of themselves first. And then it's actually going to have a greater impact on the students, not just with 
their behaviors and their emotions, it's actually going to improve their academics. So this is always something that I think is a doesn't seem, you know, it doesn't connect with people. And people look at that as like, no way. Mm. But we're one person, you know, we are our emotions, we are our, uh, you know, every aspect of us, we are our relationships, we are our work, uh, our body, our mind, our soul, everything is connected. So we really have to, to make sure that we are paying attention to what our bodies are telling us. And if we're stressed, that's going to impact how we work with the kids. So, uh, you know, and as I said, it's not just an individual. We have to create environments where wellness is prioritized. So whether that's check-ins, you know, that there are group opportunities to discuss and decompress. And even if those are short little mini breaks, something just really quickly so that we're always checking in with ourselves as well as checking in with each other to make sure that those things are are happening and that we are taking care of ourselves and then being able to help the kids. And it is actually in principle to look after yourself is actually not so difficult. It is amazing, however, how little emphasis we put on it because it's nearly nearly frowned upon you are selfish well you know i'm actually looking after myself yes it is the the third time this afternoon that i go to the toilet yes a i've got a full bladder b it gives me actually a minute of calming down because i can take a deep breath there i can maybe have a glass of water whilst i'm there and I'm removing myself from maybe a stressful environment, uh, rightly or wrongly so. And then I go back in refreshed. And it is that that little thing, those little micro breaks that can make all the difference for you to go through a day more or less successful or more or less rolling with the punches, whatever the day brings to you, um, compared with falling apart or bringing out the really nasty person in you that no one really likes so much, including yourself. Mm-hmm. So, but these are habits, these are habits and we are not, we are not looking after ourselves there. And I think the underneath underlying there is the way we talk to each other. Uh, sorry, wrong to ourselves. You would never talk to anyone in the way that you talk to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so now, if you just take that, how many times do you say, oh, you idiot, you failure, you whatever it is. So we have got this kind of, of voice in our head whom we are giving so much power. And then we are surprised that we are not taking action and looking after ourselves because we are putting ourselves down the whole time. Do you, yeah. do you, what do you, how do you feel about that? What I'm just saying, what do you think about that? How can we change the habits um, in ourselves and therefore be better role models for the children? Yeah, it, you know, I think one of the, the most challenging things is for us to stop that self-talk and just 
be more gentle with ourselves. And so one of those things, even just very simple, what am I grateful for? You know, kind of some of these basic things that we may have done when we were little kids or, you know, we were taught in school or something really not taught in school, just saying thank you. Thank you for, you know, for giving me a positive, um, you know, I, I have a place to sleep tonight. Mm. Thank you. You know, it, and, and not talking just to other people, talking to ourselves and being grateful for every little thing. Because if we, mm. if we look at some of those little things and have kind of a shift, then it makes it easier to get through the difficulties. You know, so when something is is challenging, I always try to think about what can I learn from this situation? Mm. And so, you know, I, I think that doing something like just breathing and checking in with myself and noticing, you know, like I said, it's it's we have to pay attention to our self-talk and how our mm. bodies are responding. Mm. If my stomach is tightened what's going on? Hmm. I, I need to pay attention to the those private behaviors that are going on. Hmm. And so uh, I, I think just being able to look past that and do something about it, not just notice it and then ignore it. It's let's notice and do something different. So I'm going to take a breath, you hmm. know, okay, I'm, I'm noticing that maybe I'm holding my jaw a little tight. Hmm. I'll just move around mm. and re reset. It's kind of a reset. It's just those little, little things. Like I use sticky notes all over the place. So I have lots of things that will remind me because otherwise I'd forget. And mm. I would be really hard on myself. You know, I'm not perfect with this at all. It's just that I need visual reminders to say, okay, what am I going to do to shift so that it's simple and easy for me to do? So just on my mirror, when I wake up, having positive affirmations for myself, starting the day, you know, whether it's like a prayer, meditation, doing those things for myself and being able to say no. So that's kind of, that's the ultimate thing, being able to say no. And I think actually the pandemic kind of gave us a gift in that <laughs> we didn't have a choice. I agree. I agree. You know, my husband actually had an accident three years ago, right before the pandemic, fell 30 feet off of a roof. There were so many, you know, he survived and is doing amazing. And we're actually just started starting to write that book. And it's, you know, there were so many things that happened, though, that prepared us for COVID. It made it easy for me to say no, you know, so I, Yes, it was a bad situation. And one of the things that we realized is that it actually prepared us for COVID. We mm. were already kind of hibernating at home. Mm. I was already picking up more work doing it from home. Mm. You know, my husband didn't have any opportunity other than he just needed to rest and, mm. and do his own therapy. And so, you know, paying attention to those things and reminding ourselves about that no matter what bad situation is going on if we can look at those little subtle things like okay what did I do well today you know mm. one little thing and we pay attention to those a little bit more then those are going to kind of take over it, it's our energy goes 
where our attention flows. Mm. So if our attention is to negative things all the time, then our energy is going to go to that and it's going to suck our energy. Mm. And so that, that is a habit, though, the more we do it, just little baby steps, take a breath, pay attention to something positive. I look outside my window. I see, yes, we have some snow that's been coming down, hmm. but there are beautiful trees and I actually love snow. So I love to see the picture. It's, you know, paying attention to the, the little subtle things and doing that more often. Now, let's circle back to why we are here, because, Anne, you're there for prevention. You're going to schools. You're working with maybe disadvantaged and maybe challenged teenagers. Yet, the last 20 minutes, we've been talking about the parents. Guys, do you realize we, we haven't gone off topic here? We are spot on topic because it is our power as parents and as role models to model a certain behavior. And by us actually stopping for a moment, say, wow, what a beautiful rainbow. Literally stopping the car. Wow, look at that beautiful rain cloud or whatever it is. You are setting a precedent. You are you're not just going, ah, I need to go home or ah, why, why is that the whole day like that? Yes, there are, there are moments for your anger, but there are also moments for you to realize you have got a privilege of choice. You can choose how to respond to the environment. You can be silly. It's raining cats and dogs. It's pissing it down. And you can do something stupid like doing putting music on and starting to dance in the rain. Can you imagine what your teenagers will think if you suddenly go out there, I'm singing in the rain, just something completely, completely out. And it, yeah. <laughs> people, people might actually call help for you. But <laughs> okay, right. can you can you imagine that that you will leave an everlasting impact on your children if you were to show such a behavior, and if yeah. you were to model something different yeah. so therefore it's so beautiful to actually just think about that and maybe let the inner child in you out and then yeah. maybe just maybe you're actually doing the same that Anne is doing in the schools um, to actually create a bond an unspoken bond between your children and you because you're no longer the hard ass disciplinarian but you're the crazy <laughs> crazy guy who dances in the rain yeah. <laughs> or does something similar like that or you know oh make some pasta and turn the kitchen into a nightmare to clean uh, but have fun as you're doing it and bring your kids or teenagers along and and just make them love be goofy be be crazy yeah. Why do we know that these kind of things work? Um, we know, for example, from studies and studies, unintentional studies, actually. There's a beautiful study um, was done with um, cerebral palsy children. And the question was, if hyperbaric oxygen, i.e. you put these children into a dive chamber, give them high concentrations of oxygen over 30 days, will that make them better? 
And uh, that study was done, and there was a control arm in that study, which was intensive physiotherapy. Um, and will that, what is better? Or, you know, is, they, they thought this was actually the control arm, and the other one was the, the treatment arm, the hyperbaric. Turns out, both groups of youngsters were massively improving. And it turns out, funnily enough, if you actually focus on a relationship and be there for a child, regardless of what it is you're doing, they will get better. Now, yeah. that was a very interesting study when, when people tried to analyze it. So there is so much more that we can do, but that we don't because we get sidetracked with those things that maybe are not so important with hindsight. Um, so here you go, guys. We have got a power to change things. And Anne, that is exactly what you are doing. Now, you're going to the schools, you're you're being out there, but you've got so many other uh, strings to your bow. Um, but you are an author, not just with me, not just with the beautiful depression light to me, but you have got a new book coming out, isn't it? Tell us about that. Yes, I do. Uh, I, I go into schools and I do training and coaching, and I share my own story of overcoming childhood trauma and uh, kind of the different aspects of it that I go through in my life and how it impacted me and yeah. what were the things that worked, what didn't work. Yeah. So it's called Shedding Lies, Living Beyond Childhood Trauma. And uh, I'm really excited. It's going to be coming out probably in mid-January. And because I share my story a lot in my trainings, it helps people to understand that I'm not just somebody who's coming in to tell them what to do. I'm, I was one of those kids. I you know, I was underneath the radar. And so I have, it gives me some credibility with people when they realize that I kind of walk the walk. Mm. And so it's, it's exciting. So it sets the stage for the work that I then do is, you know, again, helping systems, helping them to create the environment, which is more than just mm you know, looking at something positively, that's a piece of it. But it's how can I, you know, one of my nicknames is the spider lady, because I connect the dots within a school, so that they can work smarter and not harder, I can see the big picture and help them to be able to say, all right, this is working, this is not working. Let's make sure that we're we're putting all of the pieces together and training and coaching teachers so that they also feel supported as well as the administrators. Mm. So, um, so yes, I'm excited about my book and uh, it leads to, you know, part of it was my husband's accident that, that triggered a lot of, a lot of people were telling us that you need to write a book and we're like, okay. <laughs> and so kind of pushed me to start mine. Uh, I had to get past that imposter syndrome, but uh, it's, it's exciting that um, it's now happening. So oh, I'm really pleased for you. And by the time this interview is being broadcast, uh, your book is out. So guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast, because uh, Anne's links are in there. And we, you can make sure that you can get yourself a copy of, uh, of Anne's new book. And equally, um, maybe, just maybe, Depression Lied to Me or my Steps to Sobriety um, here, which is my book. Um, and there's so many beautiful uh, voices out there, people who have gone through the darkness and are now making sense of it by sharing their story so that others might just 
get the message that there is hope, that there is help, and that you're not alone. And I think that is so important. Now, I, I can understand all, all the work that you're doing. And when, when one looks at that, uh, you can imagine sort of a, uh, a middle-class school where they are the odd, the odd behavior-challenged uh, teenager, or you know, you've got sort of the, the extreme five percent that make ninety percent of the work, and then you have got sort of that undercurrent there, the, the, <laughs> the 20, 30, 40 percent of of youngsters that are actually sort of just borderline on diagnosis such as anxiety disorder, etc. So that's sort of maybe a picture that you've got in mind. Where I live, unfortunately, there are some really rough schools and some really rough areas where, and if you look at, if recently I anesthetized a, uh, a warden of a youth uh, prison, and he said, well, 90% of the inmates have got fetal alcohol syndrome. So in other words, their parents were pissed and drugged when they created that little human and handed down the addiction and everything in that. So these youngsters are way on the back foot. Um, does your approach work there as well? Yeah, actually, we do. My husband and I and um, a group of us uh, from Young Life actually do a ministry. We go into a juvenile detention center that is near us and just basically building the relationships with them and making it safe for them to have a relationship with a, a caring adult. Mm. So regardless, and I, I've done some work in a, pr a prison near us, and I've shared my story with, with these guys or lifers in a prison. And, you know, they, just thinking about, I, I didn't think that my story would have an impact on them, but helping them hear my story, even though it was different from theirs, they still connected mm. with it. Mm. And to this day, it's been, I think, four years now I've been doing, we've been uh, a part of a think tank going into this prison and helping them. They raise money for community um, nonprofits. You know, they did uh, like they do art and I've bought some of their art. I have plenty of their art in my house and it's, I have, I, these guys are my friends, you know, so it doesn't matter what your background is. It's it's about looking at someone else as a human being uh, and seeing yourself in them, even if you can't necessarily see that. It's it's looking beyond what's what's on the surface. So, so true. you know, all of this, the basics of relationship really are for anyone. You know, so that that has to be kind of the number one priority mm. is let's make sure we're setting up the environment to foster those relationships. So it doesn't matter what the location, how difficult the school, you know, it, it may take a little bit more work, but it ultimately comes down to that relationship. And then teaching them skills other than just the academics. We have to teach things like, how do you recognize your emotions? How do you manage your emotions? Oh, yeah. How do oh, yeah. you, you know, set goals and helping them to recognize you know, let's look for the positive so that then as we make little baby steps towards that, we can have a better voice in our head that's saying, you know what, I did do all right with that, you know, and then and the more you practice that, then it becomes that habit. It's the little baby steps that you keep practicing that becomes habit. 
exactly. Beautifully said. And I think that is the key thing. It is I that I was completely incompetent, unable. Um, it's no longer okay to say retard, but I was calling myself an emotional retard. I was unable to even even name or 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 describe what was happening in me. These were just waves of neurochemicals, and they were driving driving my life for the better part of my life. And it was only in rehab um, when we had every morning ten o'clock feelings. And it was the most dreaded session. She was sitting around in a circle and no one said a word. And there was no yeah. agenda. And you didn't, there were no sunglasses a lot, no hats, nothing in your hands. And it was just sitting there. And sooner or later, someone said something and then someone else said something. And then, whoa, uh, tears, anger, things came out, things like emotions. And it was beautiful because we were not running away from them. We were not um, numbing them uh, with drugs, etc. But it was actually experiencing them and letting them out and then, you know, thinking about them. And it was the most bizarre thing for me. This was the hardest thing for me to do. And I'm, I'm not the dumbest. I'm not the, the you know, I, yeah, I'm a doctor. So my my education and all the, the, the sharpness up there, that was always there. Yet there was no education about my feelings. There was no education about, about what was going on in my heart, so to speak. Um, therefore, please, it is regardless who you are, what you do in life, it doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur with, with I don't know, eight-figure income or if you're just making a living scraping by. Uh, it doesn't matter. We are all the same when it comes to that. Many of us are are just have no clue about our feelings. Now, it's beautiful yeah. that you point yeah. that out, that if we were to actually explore that and learn a bit more about ourselves, would we not be in such a better position to then, again, role model, and maybe talk about these emotions to our children who have them on steroids. I mean, their emotions when they are when they're in their teenage years with all the hormones going around for crying out loud, you know, you have got that happening. And would it not be nice if you can recognize a depression, if you can recognize sadness, if you can recognize joy and all these things and, and say, yeah, that is okay. Yeah. And yeah. And these are not just things that are kind of, you know, again, touchy feely. These are those, you know, Google did um, study, they did Project Oxygen, and then now Project Aristotle. Uh, there is a lot, a lot of big Fortune 500 companies that are successful, because they focus on team building and relationships mm. and really helping to create those environments, mm. they're going to be that some of the most successful. So this is, it's, you know, they're key skills that are not just something that sounds nice. They're really critical and even more so now than ever. I think mm. they're, they're critical. So. Well, I love it. You say, Anne. what would be the one thing that you would send back in a time capsule as a message to your younger self? Probably, uh, that it is okay to be feeling what you are and you're worthy. 
that I think is that voice that was pivotal that no matter what, if I had had the feeling that I was worthy, then a lot of the other issues that had come up probably would not have been there. And it's not always something that we tell kids, you know, it's not an intentional, it's just, it's like an act of omission that we often forget some of those things. So it's, it's being able to tell ourselves and tell each other that we're doing well. And I think that's, that's what it is. It's go back mm. to that. You are worthy and you don't have to keep trying to prove yourself. Mm. Exactly. You don't need to try so hard. Um, that's exactly what I would Which say. ironically is what I told my husband on our first date. So ah. <laughs> that's a whole other story. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. Okay. Wait for volume two of this interview. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So true. So true, though. Um, oh, and you're an amazing woman. Um, thank you for the work you're doing, uh, for going out there and talk to vulnerable people and um, and putting those fences up on the top of the cliff because I strongly, strongly believe that this is the right approach, the right attitude towards the, our societal problems. And if you can just, can just make that happen more frequently by actually making an impact now, uh, by going out there, role modeling, and making little, little changes to our own lives, which then become habits, and which then, without you knowing, they have such a flow on effect on the people around you. So don't think you're powerless when it comes to all that nastiness out there in the world. No, by you role modeling and by you living a life, we're full of integrity, humility, authenticity. Uh, that is beautiful. Doesn't mean to say you can't be sad. It doesn't mean to say right. that you can't be angry. And you just say, hey, guys, Today, I'm really angry. I actually don't know what it is, or I know what it is because I just had a big row with my wife. And I'm now at work here. Guys, I'm still a bit on edge. So sorry if I try to to, to, to be not so nice to you. Uh, just forgive me. Just, you know, understand. That's it. If, yep. if you just saying that, acknowledging that you were a leader, you're not a weakness. You're not a failure. No, you're a leader. Because you have demonstrated an emotional awareness that your mates around you just look at you think, what the fuck is going on here? Uh, yeah. How beautiful is that? Yeah. Cool. Powerful. Uh, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> and you're amazing. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. I have got the sensation that or the feeling that this is not the last time that we have you on this show because you're a woman who is evolving and transforming yourself. You have found your voice as an, an author and we all are, uh, we all go out there and want to make this world a better place. And if I reflect back who I was when I started this show, maybe two, three years ago, and who I am now, it's a very different man. Um, and I like that. I like that. So yeah. guys out there, all the viewers and listeners, uh, uh, what will be your transformation? What will be your new habits that you are uh, taking on? How can you make this world a better place? I challenge you, 
come along, come for along for this ride that Anne and I are on. It's an amazing path. We are just a little bit further ahead of you, but it's the same path, path of, of making this world a better place. And hey, I think that's worthwhile living for and worthwhile making a difference. It's lovely. <laughs> and look after yourself and you guys out there same look after yourself and live with passion bye thanks so much for having me i never give up i never give up i never give up trying